Welcome to Obstetric Anesthesia Basics, a short podcast series for anesthesia trainees new to obstetric anesthesia. Um, today I'm joined again by Matt and Roger, um, who both work at King Edwards, and today we'll be talking about accidental dural puncture and post-dural puncture headache, which is commonly tested in the exam. So to kick us off, uh, I think we should just talk about the incidence of accidental dural puncture, which I'll hand over to you, Matt, to briefly talk about how often you would see accidental dural punctures here and what sort of the expectations are overseas, for example, or... Okay, hi Laura, thanks uh, for having me. Um, the, when you look at the literature, the rates of accidental dural puncture vary depending on what you're reading mm-hmm. and different uh, populations and hospitals. Um, but the, the rates sort of vary from very low down to about 0.1 mm. to up to 4%. But I think a ballpark figure is 1%. Okay, so if you were consenting a patient, what would you quote? I would quote a 1 in 100 chance. Okay of a dural puncture for mm-hmm. a yeah. Um, yeah, two-way needle. Is that what you do? Do you give them your personal statistics, <laughs> Matt? One in a million. Come on, share with, share with the viewers how many times have you had a dural puncture. I'm increasingly superstitious. <laughs> I, I use my institutional rate, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think our rate actually here is about 0.8. Mm. But I think as a sort of you know a, a figure to yeah. remember, 1%, 1 in 100, mm-hmm. and I think that would be considered a reasonable figure yep. for your self or your institution mm. and when you're consenting you probably consent for postural puncture headache as well what kind of rate would you give for that so uh, should you develop a dural puncture your rate of developing a headache in the obstetric population is maybe up to about 80 percent so mm-hmm. certainly over 50 percent so of those with an accidental dural puncture with a two needle 80 percent will develop a postural puncture headache yeah okay um, so again, you know, when you look at the literature, the rates vary from anything above fifty percent. Yep, mm. it's, I certainly have been surprised um, mm. when I've seen some people who have had dural punctures and with no two needles and not going. Yeah, yeah, mm. Mm. they're big old needles, aren't they? Um, and what about with the spinal? Would you quote a similar number for uh, developing postural puncture headache? Would you consent a patient for a postural puncture headache if you were just performing a Caesar spinal? Uh, no, I, I, the, the figures I quote around about one in two hundred. Yeah. Um, so the rate of postural puncture headache following a deliberate dural puncture with a spinal needle depend on the type of needle you're using. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the type of the uh, the point of the needle and also the size of the needle. So typically we're using um, a traumatic twenty five gauge or smaller spinal needles. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, when you look at the literature, the rates are often higher than you think. They're sort yeah. of from kind of 4% mm. down to less than that. Yeah, nice. uh, But headaches tend to be uh, less severe and of um, shorter duration. But having said that, every year, even at this hospital, we will uh, give a blood patch to people who've had postural puncture headaches following spinal anesthetics. Mm. Yes. I agree. So you still definitely should mention it as a risk mm-hmm. in the obstetric population. Yeah, because so you'd they say one in two hundred. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to touch on this, but you know, the, the your age and gender mm. tend to be a risk factor as well. So I know I know some hospitals say one in five hundred for a spinal and one in one hundred for a epidural. Okay, as a rate, but yeah, we we probably should be quoting our own 
rates. Yeah. But I then if it's your than... first one you've ever done. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I think it is higher than one in 500, though. For I think it is. I think if you look through, see, mm. yeah, you just they, they, they are just milder and um, therefore probably probably less likely to need blood patches and mm. they just get better by themselves. But so you mentioned age and gender increase or decrease your risk. What sort of ages or genders or? Um, I actually, well, all I know is that you know, younger people are more likely to, and I think if you're a female. Mm. as well and I don't know if that is a true finding it's probably just that you know females are more likely to have neuraxial procedures done on them mm. because they have babies would, would that be true Matt? yeah I, I don't think there's any gender okay I made it as far as please ignore well, anything about the gender <laughs> I, <don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said that actually. but certainly yes probably more females get dural punches sadly mm. yeah that's um, right, because they're, they're in, they're in the younger age group when they're having their things. That like Matt and I will be in our 80s when we have our prostate procedures. That's right. <laughs> you can do what you like. <laughs> or our, <laughs> our, our, our new knee we'll or our prostate <laughs> operation. Yeah. Um, and it's the pencil point, isn't it, that we're using here? And uh, I believe most hospitals would have moved away from the cutting needles. Is that right? Yes. Like the quinkies. Yeah. And the you still find cutting needles in hospitals <laughs> yeah you do have to be careful um yeah, when you're um you know opening a drawer that someone hasn't stocked it with the wrong sort of needle mm. and we've certainly discovered that on occasions in various hospitals mm. and um yeah it's um it's tricky because there's different brands aren't there so mm. the ones that, that we know of that are definitely pencil point atraumatic needles are sprotty and whitaker but there's some other ones out there as well which there are some some are just defined as pencil point tips that's right they yeah. don't have mm. a name mm-hmm. yeah um, so I guess avoid quinky. Mm. Yep. And also avoid sticking your introducer needle into Too the jaw yeah. as well. Yeah, which, so um, local anesthetic. We do see. Yeah, mm. local anesthetic or, or um, uh, introducer needles um, can reach the dura in mm. very slim. Mm. Very, very slim. traumatic tips as well, and they, they yeah. often do cause a headache. Yep. Excellent. All right. I think we should just kick off with the Viva scenario then. Um, so this is a very common one. So you're asked to see a patient for an epidural um, for pain relief, and she's a primip. As you advance your TUI needle, unfortunately you feel a sudden loss of resistance, and then you remove the introducer and there's a brisk flow of clear fluid back through the needle. So can we just talk about what this is and how do you manage it? How do you recognise it? Is there always a flow back through the needle? I would... Not not always. (laughs) No. Not always. You wouldn't know, though, man. Would you? Not always. <laughs> no, I've seen. I've seen he's witnessed quite a few. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, yeah if, you, if you've got clear fluid running at some pace out of your um, tui needle, it's most likely a dural mm. puncture. And I think the important thing is don't panic. Be calm. Take a deep breath. Um, put the stylet back in, mm-hmm. um, or your finger over the um, the hole, and just take a breath and work out what you're going to do. If it's not brisk and it's not obvious, is there anything you can do to help you recognise whether it's a dural puncture? There is, and you could test the um, fluid coming out for glucose. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anyone do that, though, having said that. You're standing there with a tui needle. You've got to make a decision. Are you mm-hmm. going to take the tui needle out and try try again, or are you going to thre- thread a catheter and then see if it's intrathecal? Usually... Um, I think the ability to sort of ask someone to go off, go off and get a yep, fair. a dipstick and test it for mm-hmm. glucose and things is usually I don't know I don't think I've ever seen anyone do that. Maybe after you've threaded a catheter and then you want to know where that catheter is, you, and you're aspirating some fluid out of the catheter. Um, usually, it, usually it's pretty mm-hmm. obvious if it's intrathecal. Mm. Um, 
I've seen some people test that, but yeah. I don't think it's very, I don't know. Do you think it's a useful thing no, to do? I don't I, think it is. I, th- I think if your needle's in there, it's probably going to flow yeah. Yeah. fairly freely. Okay. Yeah. Um, so how do you manage it then? So you have two options. Mm-hmm. Um, one is to pass an intrathecal catheter, and by that we would mean putting the epidural catheter you were intending to put into the epidural space into what is now the, where your needle is in the intrathecal space, and then use that to provide analgesia for the labour. Or you could take the needle out and recite and pass an epidural catheter. Mm-hmm. Those are your two options. Yeah. Or you could abandon. If it had been very difficult and mm-hmm. this was the end point, um, you might consider whether it's worth it. Yeah. Depends right. on how things are going in the labour. So I guess there is a third option. Mm. Yeah, and most people, when they're going to recite the epidural, um, will go at a different level. They won't <laughs> go in the same spot, will they? So go up or down to so away from where the dural hole is. Mm. Can yeah. you go at the same level? Well, I guess you could. I mean, no one's, there's no one there stopping you. <laughs> it just gets complicated <laughs> because yeah, sure. there is there is probably fluid in the uh, in the epidural space mm-hmm. right over where you're about to enter. And I guess I don't know. That's I think it's important not to allow too much leakage of fluid whilst you're making these decisions. I agree because um, there may be harm yep. um, with that. Can we just divide them then and talk about what doses you would use then for an intrathecal catheter? So let's say you've thread the intrathecal catheter. What sort of, how much are you going to reduce your dose by and how are you going to continue Shall or maintain that? Should we um, go back and discuss about the sort of uh, the contextual things that make, may make you decide whether to use an intrathecal catheter or a recited epidural? Because hmm. certainly we've talked about that. So, hmm. uh, so I, I think, you know, if you're going to use intrathecal catheters on your label ward, you probably it's it's probably seems more sensible to do that in a hospital where there's an anaesthetist on site twenty four seven. So like the, you know the big maybe bigger hospitals because um, there are some hospitals around Australasia where you know the anaesthetists are not on site; mm. they get called back. Mm. I feel uncomfortable about having a, a mm. woman with an intrathecal catheter in a hospital where there's no one on site. Mm. I would agree. And um, yeah, so and it's it's also nice if there's a departmental policy where they support intrathecal catheters. Mm. So how often then would you bolus an intrathecal catheter when you say someone has to be on site? Do you want to answer that? Matt, well, there's, there's, different, the there's different ways to use them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's different ways to manage them. So so my, my initial dose would be similar to what I would be using if I was doing a combined spinal epidural for labour. So that would be um, two mils of 0.125% pupificane with some fentanyl, so we, we have a pre-mix solution here, so I would use two mils of that. Mm-hmm. Um, now you have to remember there's some dead space in the epidural filter and catheter. It adds up to about, I think it's about a mil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <coughs> but, you know, the nice thing about having an intrathecal catheter in is you can give enough. You don't you'd have to give a bolus and hope it's going to work. You mm. can always top up. So you can start low and increase if it needs to be. Mm. So yeah. I, I would I would use um, two mils um, as a starter dose because I know that's a safe dose um, and that's what we would typically use for a um, combined spinal epidural for labour. Yep. Um, and that will often work for anything from half an hour upwards, um, and then you can run uh, intermittent top ups that would need to be delivered by the anaesthetist involved. Okay. That's right, and we have used pumps before, haven't we? But uh, you still have to have someone very close by. So the risk is obviously that um, you can get um, you know hypotension or high blocks or bradycardia mm-hmm. in the fetus and all sorts of other you know, 
complications because you going sometimes you're going from having no block to having quite a good block and yeah. So why would you then do that over in reinserting the epidural? What are the advantages of doing it? It seems like there's a lot of risks. The advantages are your you've got your you've made a hole in the dura. Mm-hmm. We can't undo that. Um, we need to provide some pain relief for labour, and we can do that very easily with the catheter in place. And I think if you've got some adequate safety barriers up, um, then it's a completely appropriate way to manage mm. pain. And should the lady need help with delivery, i.e. instrumental delivery or uh, caesarean section, then we've also got the means to provide anaesthesia uh, without having to potentially cause harm again by getting another epidural in. Mm. Yeah, that's right. So the, the downside is you're going to have to, tr- if you decide to take it out and then uh, and try and reinsert a epidural elsewhere, then you may have similar difficulties. Mm. Um, it's not guaranteed that you're going to have um, a straightforward insertion procedure at the next level. Sure. And you've just had the opportunity to have a very reliable block that you can top that's up right. easily. And exactly. Yeah. And so there's, there's pros and cons. There's people who believe uh, or support one or the other approach, and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to it. And the other possible benefit is the effect on subsequent postural puncture headache um, mm. with some low level evidence that by having a piece of plastic through the hole it may induce some healing of that hole further down the track and reduce the rate of postural puncture headache um, but the evidence for that is limited okay. yep. and just a short comment about the dosing as well it's, um, so I know when I was training I thought oh, if you've got an intrathecal catheter um that's mate. That's great. You know, you can you can tell the woman, oh, bad news. You might have a bit of headache, but good news is you're going to have really good pain relief. That's not always true. Mm-hmm. I've had intrathecal catheters that haven't worked very well, and even though you can aspirate lots of CSF, mm. um, they've only had like one-sided blocks, and it's been just mm-hmm. you know just hasn't really worked at all. And in fact, um, had to just take it out and recite an epidural, okay. which did work. Uh, and then the dosing as well. So sometimes, you know, the, the two mils that Matt describes works really well. And I've had, I've certainly seen um, other patients who are being, being given doses and it was, um, they were needing much bigger doses and it wasn't lasting very long. Presume, I'm presu- we mm. presume that maybe there was a quite a big hole and a lot of it was leaking out. Mm. But So it's quite uh, unpredictable the amount of the dose you need to put down it. So it can be quite tricky. Mm got to be careful that you don't overdose them and give them a high block but then there's some patients um, um, it doesn't seem to work very well and you have to give them bigger doses yeah mm. um, what would you do then if you were to pull the epidural and the catheter out so you decide you're not going to thread it intrathecally or you're having trouble threading it um, if you're going to restart the epidural use the same epidural dose or do you worry about the, the hole that you've made in the intrathecal I would be a little bit more cautious with my first epidural dose uh, and I would probably give a dose similar to an intrathecal dose. Um, We've got time, um, there's no rush Um, and I would recite the epidural probably not at the same level, level below or above Mm -hmm. Uh, and probably just start with three to four mils of a low dose mix like 0.125% with some fentanyl Mm -hmm. and look for motor block and look for any other signs of a spinal um, anesthesia, analgesia, um, and then take it from there. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, that, so just cautious. And then if it is actually, you know, after a good deal of observation, you know, over an hour or an hour and a half or so, it's working just like a normal epidural, mm. 
I'm quite happy for them to just then treat it like a normal epidural, but just making sure everyone's aware that there has been a dual puncture. Yeah, I would agree, and I think sometimes doing things normally is yeah. safer. Mm-hmm. Just, just do what you normally do if it's if it seems to be acting normally here. Mm-hmm. And obviously if we've gone down the intrathecal catheter route, then we're going to communicate that mm. very clearly to the staff, yeah. um, write it in the notes, make it very obvious on the catheter as well that it's an intrathecal catheter, and communicate that with other members of the team as well. What about with the patient, Roger? So w- at what point would you have the discussion that something's happened that wasn't planned? Yes, probably not at the time. I've got my thumb over the over the um, toy needle and there's stuff gushing everywhere. I just sort of have a, uh, <laughs> I have a little bit of a powwow for myself in my head, decide what to do. But I certainly would um, tell them not long after, once I've made a decision what I'm going to do, I'll then tell them um, something like, you know, well, you know, um, we're going to we're going to get you comfortable, and but the catheter that we've put in is no longer is not actually um, you know an epidural. It's in the it's a little bit further in than it, than we normally plan, and then I just you know have a long discussion about what that means. Mm. Yeah, but you got to have a bit of time to think about what you're going to do first. If you, mm. you know, I don't know what, what's your answer. No, about? I, I would agree. I think the priority is to um, provide good pain relief. They've got. Yeah. sometimes a long way to go before having a baby and you don't want them to be too concerned about things that may actually not be a problem down the track. Yeah, I agree. But I think it's important to communicate that there has been a potential problem that we can keep an eye on and discuss at a later stage and provide all the information that's required once yeah. the baby's delivered safely. And We often forget that it's quite technical trying to uh, understand the anatomy and the physiology of yeah. epidural mm. versus intrathecal. <coughs> Some doctors have trouble... Um, you know, getting the head around that as well. Mm-hmm. So um, you can try and, you know, um, you can try and explain it to a patient, but a lot of the time they don't really understand the technical aspects of what you're explaining. Yeah. Mm. <coughs> and would you leave the catheter in if you did thread it intrathecally? Is there any, you talk about evidence for leaving it for 24 hours, but is the risk there higher than the benefit, do you think? Or Personally, I would take it out. Yeah. I think now we're using a lot more low molecular weight <coughs> heparins and it's been put in in labour, um, not entirely a sterile mm-hmm. you know, environment afterwards. There's been a complication and in the presence of you know the evidence not being fantastically strong that it will reduce your risk of subsequent headache, um, I, I would suggest just take it out. Mm. Yeah, some people do leave it in for 24 hours. I think like Matt says, the evidence is just observational, it's pretty low level mm-hmm. and... Um, there are risks of leaving a catheter in that someone mista- mistakes it for an epidural mm. and uses it inappropriately and or, like you say, you know, they get heparin or mm-hmm. various other things. You know, the longer you leave things in, the more likely they are to get complications like yeah. infections. Yeah, good. All right, so um, let's say you've threaded your intrathecal catheter, she's delivered, it's been removed, you see her the next day on the... Um, let's say you see her two days afterwards... Um, on day one, she hadn't developed a headache, but on day two, she has. Um, how would well, you assess? Can I um, just talk? Because sometimes this comes up, as a, uh, and this might come up in a viva, mm. um, is um, you're asked to take someone to theatre for an emergency caesarean and they have an intrathecal catheter. And how are you going to manage that? Mm. That would be quite a good viva, and I think that could come up. Mm. Um, yeah, because there all sorts of things can go wrong there, and knowing how to top that up carefully without... Um, causing grief like a, a high spinal mm. um, and then managing the analgesia mm-hmm. afterwards so 
so that would be, um, you know, I guess they could part of that by yep, their, definitely. Um, yeah, could, yeah. I, could I talk to you about high spinal management um, or high, yeah, total spinal, things like that. How would you top that up? That's about, that's about how I was about to ask you, Roger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I've done the hard work here. You can <laughs> don't forget to chip in. That's my job. I, don't uh, <laughs> I will put my 20 mils at 2% liquid cancer one side. <laughs> um, and I will draw up a syringe with the equivalent spinal dose that I would use for a cesarean section. So I would use 0.5% heavy marking um, yep. with some fentanyl. Um, and I would inject in one mil increments. Yes. Um, and hopefully you'll see a block establishing with just the one mil, then you, you know you're on the right track. So do you give one mil, then flush it, to f- uh, flush it in with w- w- because the dead space is about one mil? Or I, do you I, give I, one I, mil and then just stop? You're asking me about something I've never actually <coughs> done. Oh, right, okay. I've done it. I've topped mm. up uh, one or two. Uh, um, but but yeah. if I was to do it, on call tomorrow night, I would put one mil in, uh, assess the block, and assess it both in terms of sensory block and motor block. And if it was creeping up as we would expect, put some more in, yep. put another mil in. But I wouldn't flush it in between, because then my next dose of local anaesthetic is my next one mil is just going to fill the catheter. So I would, I would put in my one mil and then fill the catheter with saline. Then my next one mil will just fill the catheter and filter yeah the problem i'm missing something well the, i think the problem is that once you've um uh got a good block but there's still a mill of low of mm. heavy marcaine in the catheter what are you going to do with that heavy, mill of heavy marcaine although if it's intrathecal you can suck it back yeah, out yeah i would have thought that i'm not going to worry before i've got more than two mils <laughs> so yeah. my first mm. it's tricky anyway you need, yeah. you need to think about that um no, that's a good point yeah so i probably give my one mil followed by one mil yeah, I think flushing is a good idea. It's in my head anyway. That's what I've always yeah. planned to do. Suppose if you're saying there's a mill of dead space and you put a mill in, then theoretically you're saying the patient has not received a dose. That's what you're saying, unless you flush it. Yeah. But are you going to influence your block just by putting in your saline? Probably. But that doesn't really matter, I suppose, because a block is a block. Um, so you'd flush it with one mill of saline? Yeah. It is actually quite tricky. But then, yeah... Um, and I have seen people um, just say, I'm going to put 2.1 mils um, with 20 of fentanyl and flush the whole lot in, and mm-hmm. they get a really high block. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe it's so the flushing that is... Yeah, so I'm not sure. But then the quality of the block, is that going to be... Yeah, as it's really... Good it's, yeah. That's why I bring it up, because I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, and yeah. if anyone's ever had enough experience doing this. Um, to, I to think know, it's the dose that's the most important thing, mm-hmm. not the concentration, yeah. isn't it? So anyway, so I think... The first mil, like one mil, and then people have, some people have, no, I've said just put 0.5 of a mil of the heavy marcaine at a time after that. But you just got to, I guess mm. the take home point is you've got to do it slowly and carefully mm. because it is quite easy to overdo it. Mm. I've heard of case, I've heard, you know, people have told me of um, cases they've had after hours and things mm. where it has gone. Um, mm. I think long. that's an important point, you know. I think, um, you know, we do sometimes advocate intrathecal catheters quite strongly but mm. they they aren't without problems they are quite tricky to and top up. Mm. likewise we may be doing this and see very little block establishing that's probably yeah, that's right. the more likely thing yeah or it wears <laughs> off suddenly it wears off suddenly mm. uh, during this during the case yeah. does it wear off more suddenly because it's a i think people have had cases where it has done that mm. a bit yeah presumably there's a bit of a leak there's a big hole there mm. um these are all based on anecdote Mm. I think that's probably the only level you'll ever get for this because it's such a rare, a rare uh, situation. Yeah, that's good, study good practical things to mm. think about. That, so. um, and analgesia, what I, I usually just 
Uh, if you advocate putting 100 mics of morphine down, flushing it in and then pulling the catheter out. Mm-hmm. Just like you would with the normal spinal. Yeah. yeah. Um, Although you could just take it out. Some some people don't like injecting mm-hmm. morphine. Mm. Talk about that in another podcast. Um, okay. So I think... You've been listening to the Obstetric Anesthesia Basics podcast series. A short podcast series designed for anesthesia trainees new to obstetric anesthesia. These discussions are designed to encourage uh, understanding and appreciation of the challenges and issues that are frequently encountered in this area of anesthesia. However, there is no such thing as one correct way to practice obstetric anesthesia. Equipment, drugs, facilities, protocols and practices will and do vary across hospitals, geographical locations and time. You should always ensure that you follow the appropriate practice in your own institutions. Thank you for listening.